down Are they gonna bail you out Or just run you around They said you should have a house The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man dream of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today for you is Wednesday, July 28, 2010. For me, it's actually Monday, July 26, 2010. Well, it really isn't. It's Wednesday for both of us. But I'm recording this on Monday because, like I uh, said prior to leaving, I'm going to be on vacation for uh, about a week and a half here and try to have as many shows for you as I can while I'm away. I've got the uh, listener-contributed show scheduled for Monday next week. i got this show for Wednesday. And hopefully between now and the time I'm recording this and the time you're listening to us, I've managed to knock out at least two more to keep you in shows throughout the first week at least during my absence. And maybe I can pinch hit one or two from the road. I don't know. We'll see how that works out. But, folks, I needed a vacation. My mind is going to explode dealing with cataclysm, calamity, and potential disaster every day, making sure there's a show every day, running the business, and building it and growing it. Once in a while, you got to unplug. So I'm doing that right now. Right now, while you're listening to this show, if you're listening to it right as it's published anyway, I'm cruising on the highway probably somewhere near the Arkansas border heading north. We'll be heading all the way through Arkansas up into the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachians of Tennessee to spend a, a quality week with my wife in our RV and just kicking back, relaxing, uh, and that type of thing. But because I care, there's still a show for you. All right, today's show, what's it going to be about? It's going to be about a dozen plants that are my favorite plants to grow in my fall garden. Uh, I think you'll be able to grow these in most of the country. I know some of you guys are up there in northern Montana or something like that. You know, you're like, dude, without a greenhouse, I can't even grow in the summer. And, and I understand that. But for most of you, you'll be able to pull off a lot of this stuff. I talked about fall gardening recently, but I focused more on the methodology than the plants. Today, we're going to focus more on the the crops and why they make good fits and what you need to think about with each of these 12. And these are my 12 personal favorites for my fall garden. And I actually think fall gardening is some of the best gardening I do. I really do. I think it's better than spring. It's definitely better than summer. It's too friggin' hot here. I mean, I'm limping some plants along right now waiting for fall and uh, getting stuff ready to plant in fall. And there's some cool stuff uh, that I'll be talking about in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping, uh, starting out with our sponsors. They do a lot to make sure the show is here and available for you. Sponsor of the day number one, KnifeKits.com. Uh, Tell you what, if you've ever thought of building your own knife, it is not as difficult as you thought. Check out KnifeKits.com. They're our newest sponsor. Uh, they filled a spot that, that vacated. I've had like one vacate uh, sponsor in two years. Tells you how much the sponsors love doing business with you guys. Uh, this was a great one to bring on because they're unique. Don't really compete with anybody else that we have, and uh, they are loved. If you go into all the blade and knife-making forums, you'll find that these guys are absolutely loved by the industry. So if you've never made a knife before and you're thinking about doing it, start out with KnifeKits.com, and if you've been doing it a while, 
probably already not a good place to do business. Next sponsor of the day today is Safe Castle Royal. Um, Vic over there has been extremely good to us. He's made his discount buyers club available for free to every MSB member. That's a $29 value, dollar value on day one for MSB members. Uh, Vic is an outstanding guy. Uh, he's also not only uh, been a good friend to me, he's been good friends with a good friend of the show, Ron Hood. And they say we can judge you by who you associate with. And people that associate with Ron Hood to me have always been really good folks. Um, Vic has at Safe Castle everything you need for your prepping needs from a wide variety of 12 VDC appliances for like your solar activity, uh, storable food, and everything else in between. And you might want to check out his uh, shelter site as well. I'll put a link in today's show notes to that for you as well. But Safe Castle builds some of the best uh, disaster shelters you'll ever find anywhere in the world. We don't talk about that a lot because it's not really what he sponsors the show with, but he's been good to the show, so I like to give him a mention for that once in a while. Next up, make sure you connect with us on all our social media outlets, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and of course the Survival Podcast Forum. Please get involved with our forum. It is a free PhD on preparedness and homesteading. That's what it is. And what it really comes down to it. There's more knowledge and resources in that forum than I think anywhere else online. And I know other people have great forums, and I'm not putting them down or anything. I'm just telling you, the people that have built this forum are freaking amazing, and they are a tremendous blessing to this community. And please be involved. Even if you don't post a lot, get in there and start reading. Whatever you want to know about, go to the forum and search for it. You'll be shocked at how much information is available to you. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. It helps support this show. It's what is my full-time income now. Is you supporting the show? You do that at 20 cents an episode. You get a good return of investment. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the fact that you're listening to this show and I'm not even home tells you something about how much I value the audience. So hopefully enough of you guys value back uh, to uh, consider joining the Member Brigade. I'll leave it at that today. Um, And let's start talking about today's show. Why fall gardening today? It is, what is it, July 28th, if you're listening to this. It's going to be about five days before we hit August, and then we hit what we call the dog days of summer, the, the hottest, most miserable part of summer. And last but not least today, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to yada yada members, blah, 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 20 cents an episode. You've heard it before, but do consider joining the Member Support Brigade today. Think about the fact that I'm on vacation, you're still getting a show. That tells you uh, how much effort I put into making sure I deliver on my promises, and the Member's Brigade is an extension of that. Um, with that, let's go ahead and start talking about the main topic of today's show. Again, 12 Plants for the Fall Garden. Before we get into the plants, though, let's talk about why we're going to talk about fall gardening today at all. I mean, it's five days before August 1st, right? And it's uh, going to be August. And in August, we're going to have what they call dog days. It's like the hottest time of the year, like the beginning of August through the third week. It's like the miserable heat. And if you live in the south, that heat carries into September, right? I mean, it's hot out. Right now, if I go outside on when the sun's out... And I take a thermometer and I stick it in the ground like a half inch to expose soil, not mulch, but expose soil. The soil temperature is like 120 freaking degrees. You can't even get a seed to germinate in that crap. And this clown, this Jack Spearco clown, wants to talk to me about the fall. Why? Well, let me put it do this way. June 21st, we had the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the summer solstice. And what's that? That's when the day is the longest day of the year. 
So since June 21st, even though it's been getting hotter because of that just that's the way the seasons work, the days have actually begun to shorten. And they've been shortening and shortening and shortening, and they'll continue to do so. You just haven't really felt the effects of it yet, and because we're right in the middle of summer still, you haven't really noticed, but the sun is beginning to drop a little lower in the sky each and every day. And in about 40 days from now, many of us will have our shotguns and maybe a friend, friendly dog by our side, maybe some good buddies and maybe a little overnight camping trip if we're in the right places for that. But we'll be standing out in the field hunting doves. That's 40 days away, dove season. For the archers, guys, by then you'll be scouting for deer sign. Because first week of October in many places in the United States, you'll be You'll be climbing up in that tree in the oh-dark 30 hours while it's still dark, watching the forest come alive, watching the leaves turn, and hunting deer. You know, that's the, the scouting for that is 40 days away. The doing of that is 70 days away. Now, when you're a little kid, you know, 25 days from December 1st to Christmas seems like forever, you know. But as an adult, you know that 30, 40, 50, 60 days is like that. I mean, it's if you get paid every other week, what's 40 days? You know, what is it, two and a half paychecks? It's going to be September. And 21 days into September, we'll have what's called the fall equinox. And that'll be the point where the day and the night are the same amount of time. And from there, the nights will get longer and the days will get shorter. And we'll be heading in, believe it or not, to Christmas. The holidays, Thanksgiving, kids running around dressed up for Halloween... It's going to be here on you so fast. And you can't feel it yet. All you can feel is the heat right now. But 40 days from now, even if it's still hot, when you walk outside, especially in the mornings and the evenings, if you're quiet, if you listen to your inner self, if you allow yourself to feel what's going on, you'll know it's coming. You'll feel it fall. It's going to be here soon. And for many people that garden, and this used to be me, the fall meant the end. Put all the stuff in the shed, mulch up the beds, take in the last of the, the, the crops as the frost finally gets them, and you know maybe there's some onions or something out there, but really you're not messing around with that stuff again until spring. Spring's a damn long way off for a gardener. There's no reason for your gardening to end and let me ask you a question. Are you going to eat between September 1st and, let's say, March 1st? I'm going to eat. Would you like some of that food to be tasty, good, straight from the backyard? I would. Well, here's the beauty of that. There's a lot of crops that you maybe maybe have wanted to grow. Maybe if you're a new gardener and you didn't know it yet, you tried. You know, Maybe you tried to grow broccoli in the south, and you planted it like in March when it was still cool out. You thought that was going to work out for you. And 30 days later, the temperature was 90 degrees. Your broccoli heads were as big as a coffee cup, if that, and growing giant shoots and yellow flowers, and you didn't really get any broccoli. And there were a billion cabbage flies out munching on what was there anyway. And it didn't work out. Well, fall's the time to grow that stuff. You can grow broccoli right through the winter. That's one of the crops. We'll be talking about that. And a lot of other crops we're going to talk about work out the same way. You, know, you try to grow them in the heat of the summer, and what happens? They grow too fast, they go to seed too fast, and you don't get anything usable. And even if you get them to grow, they don't have that crisp sweetness that we're looking for in a lot of our leafy vegetables. Fall is the time to grow that stuff. Fall is a time when there is also 
plants have what I call an innate intelligence. And they know winter's coming. They don't know it the way we do. They can't rationalize. They don't have a thought process. But in every living being, there's an innate intelligence that responds to things like light cycles and temperature. And when plants know winter's coming and their time is limited, they accelerate their growth rates. And they begin to beef up. And some of them begin to prepare. Some of them that are frost tolerant, they can go right through the winters in the south. They can't do it if they're a little tiny. They'll, they'll, they'll just, they can't make it. But if they're big and strong and healthy, they can grow right through the winter. You can knock snow off them and find that lettuce plant still growing under there if it's healthy and strong by the time the snow comes. If it's tiny and weak, it won't make it. It'll get crushed if not frozen. So the plants in this fall period, this September-October timeline, go into this vibrance The temperature's right. The days are still fairly long. The nights are cool, but the soil's warm still. And it is an amazing time, not just for planting the plants we're going to talk about, but a lot of your plants with a little frost protection. You know, those peppers, they have that last burst, you know. And a lot of your other plants will have what I call that final burst. But, you know, even the summer plants, they, they know It's got to be now. I've got to produce so that I can leave seed behind for the next generation. Because remember, all of these plants come from the wild at some point. Many of them have been massaged and worked with and selectively bred. But inside their gene pool is a survival instinct. The same survival instinct that drives you to prepare is in a pea or a bean that says, I must propagate. And when fall comes, they do it quickly. So you get vibrant, rapid growth with the right plants in the right regions uh, planted at the right times. So that's why fall is so amazing. The other thing we need to know about fall, and I'll talk more about this at the end, so I'll uh, uh, actually I'll just go ahead and do it now. Fall is a wonderful time for plants to grow, but they generally have to have a good start. The problem for you is, like I said, if you take your thermometer and stick it in the soil where the sun hits it right now, you might find it 120 degrees. Most seeds germinate best between, let's say, 65 and 75 degrees. So what does that mean? A lot of seeds, if you put them in the ground right now, even with mulching and trying to keep the soil relatively cool, you won't get growth. So this is time to look at the fall garden just like the spring garden, just like it's too cold to start your seeds outside, so you start your seeds inside, this is a good time to start seeds inside so they can be put out in September or late August. Even if it's a little bit hot for them yet, you give them some shade and some protection, you still have to start the seeds inside. Trust me, if you put broccoli seeds or beet seeds in the ground right now, beets are just going to hold off on because they don't start inside well, but you go out and plant seeds like that in the ground right now, they're not going to start in most of the country. The, the heat will literally bake them. They're just not made for that. So it's time to start thinking about things being started indoors. And some of them maybe are starting indoors right away. Broccoli, you know, you might want to go ahead and start that stuff in a week or two. Uh, and maybe give it four weeks inside under growth lights and put it out around the 1st of September in a lot of the countries. a great time to do that. Nice, big, healthy plant at that point. Um, some other things you may want to hold on. You might want to hold on lettuces and spinaches until mid-August. 
You know, August 15th, August 21st, somewhere around there. Get a nice little plant started to put out the second week of September so that it can establish itself and grow into that mature state so that it's ready to be harvested over and over and over again through the cooler part of the year with the shorter days. You don't want tiny baby plants going out there in November. Even if they can handle November's temperatures, they're not going to do well for you. They're not going to grow well for you without a mini greenhouse or a greenhouse or something like that to supplement their needs. So anything you're going to be planting in the ground, you want to start looking now at when it should be set out and counting back and starting it indoors just like you do for spring and winter. Okay? All right, so let's start talking about some of these uh, crops that I really enjoy growing in the fall and why I love growing them in the fall so much. The first one is lettuce. Um, I'm a salad freak. I love big, giant, fluffy green salads with all kinds of greens and veggies and maybe a chopped up tomato or pepper to go in there as well. Maybe a hard-boiled egg, especially a fresh egg or an organic egg or something like that. A little bit of cheese. I mean, that is one of my favorite indulgences is a salad like that. And when it comes from fresh-grown greens, boy, it's so much better than a bag from the store. Problem is, if I take lettuce plants right now and put them outside in this heat, they will grow spindly, quick, fast, and shoot up heads of seeds and, and just fail. I'm just not going to get a good result with lettuce right now in this heat. There's a couple of varieties that I can kind of do okay. Black Seeded Simpson is one of the go-to lettuces all year round, all four seasons, and it can do okay in the summer here. I can get lettuce. The problem is, it's not lettuce like I get in the fall or the spring, or the winter. In the fall, spring, and winter, I get lettuce that is crisp and sweet that you can cut from the garden, throw into a bowl, and eat immediately, and it has that crisp salad bar taste to it. That is why lettuce is a great crop to grow in the fall. Because if you get it established in September, and it's producing October, November, and December, and some of your lettuce, man, you can hold it all through. You can keep cutting the outer leaves and keep it growing. And once it gets cold enough, it won't bolt on you. You can hold it all the way to March. I had lettuce last year that I put in the ground in November that I was still harvesting in March. I did videos of it and compared um, one part to the other where I put a, a fish tank over half of the lettuce, and it grew at a much faster rate with a greenhouse effect in the colder part of the year. Uh, but lettuce is just a beautiful crop for the fall. And it's a quick grower, too. I mean, you put little lettuce plants in the ground, and you can start harvesting them in 20, 25 days. That means even if you have hard winters, you can get some harvest before the hard winter, even without a lot of protection. Because there's guys, you, some of you guys live where it's going to get to zero before the end of the year, and that's going to kill just about anything. Uh, but even, even lettuce down to zero with some protection, uh, you can hold it, uh, probably not zero, but you can hold it down into the teens. Spinach. Spinach and lettuce together make up the biggest part of what I do with my fall gardening. Um, spinach is another crop. I grow a lot of New Zealand spinach um, during the, the, the summer because it's a good substitute for spinach. It's not as good, but it's pretty good. But it doesn't have that, that sweetness that spinach does. Spinach, you just forget about it in the heat. If you get it to grow again, it runs up and it bolts. In the fall, spinach is just a beautiful crop. And if you take... Uh, and, and like, let's talk a little bit about lettuce again. I know lettuce sounds like a boring subject, but I grow lettuces that are speckled. I grow lettuces that are red, red oak leaf. Uh, I grow uh, black seeded Simpson, which is green. And you grow a blend of lettuce like that, and you add the deep green of spinach to it. 
And that is just an amazingly nutritious salad. I have very little interest in growing anything like an iceberg lettuce. You know, the head lettuce that you buy, the nutritional value of that stuff is very, very low. The caloric value is very low. Not that it's high in leaf lettuce, but the nutritional value is much higher, even though the caloric value stays down. Um, so, But you take those things and combine them with spinach, and you get a wonderful flavor profile. I guess my next favorite plant to grow in the fall and right through the winter, and I've had these plants with ice on them, and they've survived and continued to produce for me, and that's broccoli. Uh, Brussels sprouts can get lumped right in here. It's not on my list because I don't like Brussels sprouts. If every Brussels sprout on the planet evaporated into nothingness, I, I don't think I would shed a single tear. I just don't like them. Um, but, just, but they're a brassia, and just like broccoli, um, they'll handle frigid, frigid temperatures. That's why they're so popular in places like Holland and Denmark and things like that. So broccoli is another one of these plants that in the heat of summer, it just won't stay nice and compact and tight heads. And uh, But in the fall, in the winter, and in the spring, you'll get that result out of it. And the beauty with broccoli, I've had one of my good friend's houses, I don't understand why you grow broccoli, Jack. It's so damn cheap in the store. Uh, he says, I, I tend to grow the things that cost money at the store, not the stuff that are cheap. Well, I don't think what he got is that if you grow it at the right time of the year where you can keep it producing, you get that great big gro uh, broccoli head. Maybe you plant eight, a dozen plants. You cut them all off, you eat your broccoli. Well, every four or five days you'll go out, and guess what? There's little mini broccoli florets on all the plants you've already cut. And you can go down your eight to 12 plants and cut another meal of broccoli. And then you wait, and guess what? Two, three days later, maybe four days later, you got to do it again. And then again. And about once a week to once every other week and a half, depending on how cold it gets and how well your broccoli has been established, you're picking enough for a meal over and over and over again. And broccoli from the garden, cut, brought in the house, sautéed, and on the plate in 20 minutes, destroys the flavor and texture profile of any broccoli from the store, no matter how good it is. It is amazing how sweet and succulent broccoli is when it's cooked as soon as it's harvested. That's really the way we go with broccoli. It's a good crop for flat, you know, blanching and flash freezing as well. It's okay for dehydration for using casseroles, but it is beautiful when sautéed fresh. The other thing about broccoli, even in the late spring, uh, when it's still cool enough, you'll look out in your garden and you'll see your garden amassed with these little white butterflies. Well, those are cabbage flies, and they lay these little evil green caterpillars, and they are just murder on broccoli plants. They'll just eat them to the ground. Now, the thing about this is when you grow broccoli in the fall and in the winter and the spring, very early spring, there's very few of these guys around, and it's much easier to control them with organic means, even just walking out once in a while and pulling them off and crushing them and dropping them into the soil to compost. Uh, which I get great pleasure from doing that. But you'll find it's much easier to control, and you'll find that in, in the, the cooler parts of the fall, they're not even an issue. They don't come out anymore. So your broccoli can grow undisturbed of its primary pest. It's another advantage to the fall. It's also an advantage that carries right over to my next favorite uh, fall crop, which is cabbage. I had never really liked cabbage as a kid. I always looked at it as something they made you eat. And as I've gotten older and I've learned about all the different things that you can do with cabbage, like making your own uh, sauerkraut, which is actually really remarkably easy to do. Uh, you know, as a kid, I always liked sauerkraut on a hot dog. I didn't even know it was cabbage. If they told me, I probably would have, you know, my kids are, oh, I don't like it anymore because it's cabbage. 
Um, so that's really a, a, a great uh, use of cabbage. But uh, you know, instead of being like this this uh, this mushy substance that my grandmother overcooked, cabbage has so many uses. Uh, Chinese varieties of cabbages sliced up and sautéed in a stir fry. Get the broccoli, get the cabbage, maybe some snow peas and some spinach. Sauté that, throw that with a little bit of beef over some uh, noodles or or rice, and you've got something that's very unique. Uh, because as Americans, we don't eat that way. The Orientals eat that way quite often, uh, but we tend to lose sight of the simplicity of really good home cooking, and that's one of the great ones. Cabbages are also unique in that if you're growing head cabbage, one of the things you can do when that first head of cabbage is, is cut, instead of just cutting it and being done with it, cut it and then take the stem and cut a, a cross in the stem. It'll grow four little mini cabbage heads. That's a great way to extend your harvest with cabbage. And cabbage handles all but the coldest temperatures, uh, right through fall, and in some places with some protection again, you can go right into spring with your cabbage. Beets are another great fall favorite. Um, I've never seen beets killed in Texas by a Texas winter. I've seen it snow. I've seen it frost. I've seen the greens of beets that are growing in the winter wilted down from a severe freeze. And I've seen the first time the sun comes out, new greens start to sprout right out of the bulb that's still in the ground. Uh, so beets, whether they're grown for their bulbs or grown for their greens or grown for both, wonderful fall crop. Beets are another thing that I think a lot of people don't think they like because they've never had them prepared uh, in the right way. One of the things you can do with your beets is cut your greens flush to the ground so there's no greens left. And when that second growth comes, you'll get a lot smaller uh, beet greens. And you'll get this continuous flow of them. They're going to be much sweeter than the big greens that you maybe are accustomed to and much better for fresh use in a salad. Beets are also something that, you know, because people tend to think of them as pickled. That's probably the primary way we can think of them. And that's because people want to preserve them in the past without refrigeration and all. Uh, so maybe that's the way you tend to think of them. But beets are actually really good roasted. You take your beets, cut them up into cubes, wrap them in some foil, and just roast them on the grill. You'd be shocked at what that tastes like, how much better tasting that is than something like a pickled beet, especially if you don't like pickled flavorings. Another thing that you can do with beets that makes them a lot more usable, I guess user-friendly, is there's varieties of beets that you can grow that don't have that blood-red juice uh, that gets all over everything and stains everything. There's a golden beet, actually several varieties of golden beets, uh, that I find to be very, very delicious. Um, much Maybe a little bit of a nutty taste compared to a red beet. Not a lot, just a little subtle taste and very, very good roasted. And you'll also find there's varieties of beets that are kind of, they look almost like a target when you cut them open. They're red and white. And they do still have some red juice that they bleed out, but they bleed out a lot less. So if you're not into the pickling, like pickling beets and making pickled eggs with pickled beet juice, which I absolutely love, by the way, um, those other varieties and hybrid varieties of beets, not even really hybrid, they're actually heirlooms, uh, but just different varieties that people are accustomed to of beets, like golden beets, are really a good thing to check out. And again, it's something that can produce greens for you. And like I said, I've seen it where the snow comes, it smashes the greens down, greens are gone, beet looks dead, sun comes out on a warm, sunny summer, uh, winter day, you know, you get that Indian summer, and all of a sudden you got greens shooting right back up out of the existing root structure. So it's a great dual-purpose plant. Kale is another extremely hardy. Um, there's a lot of varieties of Russian kale. And if you can handle Russian uh, temperatures, it can handle most of what we can dish out to it here in the United States. Kale is going to be a plant, though, that you're going to want to harvest the leaves when they're young. 
most kales, not all, but most kales, if you let the leaves get very big, they look beautiful, uh, but they get a lot more uh, fibrous and uh, more bitter. Harvest kale young, and you're going to do better with your salad greens. But kale, definitely something to consider for your uh, for your, your fall garden, something I would definitely uh, consider having there. Another one, and something I've talked a lot about on the show, is orach. I grow orach every spring, and I grow it every fall, and I don't bother trying in the summer. I let a few of the plants that do well in the spring grow up in the summer, and they'll grow four or five feet tall and go to seed and produce a ton of seed for me. But if I try to start a small plant outside in the heat of summer, orach usually typically goes to seed very small, and I don't get a lot of leaf off of it. So I'll plant a ton of orach in the early spring, and a ton of orach I'll start in, inside the house at the end of August uh, with my temperatures. With your temperatures, you might start it at the beginning, depending on where you're at in the country. Again, I'm down in northern Texas where it's you know really still hot out in September. And uh, I'll put those little plants out there, and I'll even do that just to get a first crop. The second crop I'll direct sow uh, about the end of September. And orach is not real frost tolerant, but your light frost, it'll usually get through that fairly well. Uh, a good freeze where you look out and the grass is completely white, usually at that point orach is going gonna, is gonna to fall off unless you've given it some protection in like a greenhouse environment or something like that. This is also a great time of year to look at growing vegetable amaranth. Um, I talk a lot about growing amaranth for its grain, and that is a great use of it, but I've also always talked about how I view amaranth as a wonder plant. And the reason I do that is because there's so many things that you can do with amaranth. I can use the greens as a green. Um, I can pull off the greens off the new shoots of even a large amaranth variety uh, and let it grow to maturity and produce grain. I can then take the grain and grind it into a gluten-free powder. I can mix or flour. I can mix it with another flour, and that's my primary use. So I can take you know a good cup of amaranth grain and mix that with uh, whole wheat flour when I make beer bread, and I make a grainy, nutty beer. That's freaking awesome, by the way. You've got to try that. A cup of amaranth mixed into your beer bread. You'll and do 50% whole wheat, 50% white flour, and add a cup of amaranth to that. You really want to take it up a notch, take that amaranth and toast it. Get a, a good skillet, either a seasoned cast iron or Teflon coated skillet. Get it warm, not real, real hot, just warm, uh, probably about 200 degree range. Throw your amaranth in there and just stir it around dry in that skillet until it starts to brown and gets this wonderful smell. Take that out. Put that in your bread. You, you, you will not believe the nutty, grainy character that will add to bread. So amaranth's good for the grain usage. You can make mini popcorn out of amaranth. There's so many huge nutrition, huge protein. It's just one of the, the most nutritious crops ever. But if you go to plant amaranth in September, it's not real cold hardy. It's another one of these things that's like orach. It can get through the light frost, but one, and it doesn't really like the heavy heat. Uh, but once you get into true freezes, it's dead. So you would think, well, it doesn't make sense to plant it in September. It's never going to, you know, these 90 days to 120 days, depending on variety, to get to a good solid seed head. Some of it will actually beat that, but here's what I like to do with it. Some varieties of amaranth are better for vegetable than others. You'll go in seed catalogs and you'll see some actually advertised as a vegetable variety. One of the ones I love the color of that makes a great vegetable variety is called Hopi Red Dye. It's probably my favorite amaranth to grow. Grow it. In fact, I've got it springing up on its own all over the place just from volunteerism because I've been growing it for so long. But in the early fall, what I'll do is I'll plant it thick. I mean, I'll plant it like almost like I'm seeding grass, probably about half the ratio that if I was putting down grass seed. 
and I get tons of these little plants. And when they first come up, I take half of them out when they're little. They're only about six inches tall. And they'll be used in salads. And that makes room for everybody else. And then I'll let them grow to about eight inches to a foot tall. And Hopi Red Dye at that size is actually pretty thick-stalked, and it's got a lot of leaves in it. And I'll start cutting those out, and those will get braised and sautéed with vegetables. Maybe the smaller leaves will still get tossed in a salad. I mean, amaranth is so versatile. And you get, again, it's one of those plants that will grow in the heat, but the quality of the vegetable side of it, the, the, the leaves, the sweetness, and, and, and a little bit of a juiciness to it, Uh, and a lack of bitterness is going to be better for you in the fall and the spring than in your midsummer. I'll also tell you, amaranth, all of it's edible. There's not a part of the amaranth plant that's not edible. Nothing's going to hurt you. But, like, I'm growing Golden Giant this year, and for grain production, it is amazing. But even as a small plant, uh, unless you pick it very tiny, and I'm talking two inches tall or smaller, it's a terrible vegetable amaranth. It's too um, fibrous. And it doesn't have a really good flavor as a vegetable. As a sprout, it's pretty cool. So when I seeded, I just seeded the hell out of it. It's easier to try to plant one amaranth seed. And when the little sprouts came up, I pulled a bunch out, and those were good. But uh, as a vegetable amaranth, golden giant, it's just too big, too stringy of a plant. So some make better vegetable amaranths. Hopi red dye, beautiful in the garden, beautiful in a salad bowl, beautiful in a stir-fry, great grain, Easy to grow, hardy as hell. You can make a dye out of it. Um, hard to go wrong with the little black seeds that are easier to deal with and see, I think, than some of the, uh, the, the, the kind of the golden varieties uh, for certain applications. Hopi red dye amaranth grain tossed into your beer bread takes things up a notch. So consider all the things you can do with these plants, not just the fact that you can grow them in the fall for their basic uses. Um, next is carrots. I won't say much about that other than, you know, even even little picky kids tend to eat their carrots. It's a vegetable. You can get them to eat. It's a, it's a, it's a tough plant for fall because you've got to get it going enough that it's going to be able to produce in the winter for you. So you've got to have this perfect balance point. You've got to find, basically you want to get your carrot seed in the ground as soon as the temperature is low enough that, you, that your seeds are going to germinate for you. For me, that is around September 5th to September 10th, somewhere in there. Some of you guys will be able to pull that off a few weeks earlier. Uh, some people even further south than me are going to have to pull that off a few weeks later. The key is to try to get them up to a point where you have the green tops at least six inches tall before the days really begin to get cold and long. But carrots will handle the toughest winters. And here's the cool thing with carrots. If you get them to the point where they're big enough to pick um, in, in early winter, you can basically fold over uh, their green tops, mulch the hell out of them, and let the snow pile up on them. And whenever you want, and they'll, they'll slow their root growth to almost nothing. They won't get too big and split or go off to double roots or anything like that, which carrots can do if you leave them in the ground too long. And anytime you want a carrot, you just go out and pull back your mulch in the snow and pull a couple fresh carrots out of the ground. And you can keep them in the ground right through the winter. Very cool to have a, a plant that will store outside for you. Uh, another root crop that it's a good time to plant. Now, you won't be eating it this fall, uh, but it's a great time to plant it is garlic. Uh, if you plant garlic in September, you'll be harvesting it in early summer to late summer next year. Great big giant cloves of fresh garlic. So, And garlic is one of those plants that, is, as much as I love supporting you know, Seed Savers Exchange and, and, and Seeds of Change and high mowing and all, uh, I've found that I can go find a variety of garlic I like in a grocery store. And maybe the bulbs are on sale for 10 for a dollar. 
And I can go buy 20 bulbs from a grocery store, throw the cloves in the ground, and I get perfect results out of it. Um, I may not always know the exact variety of garlic I'm growing that way, but if I just keep doing that, and I plant garlic, folks. I say plant it in the fall. I plant it all the time. You know, I just stick a clove here, stick a clove there, stick it in the flower bed, stick it in the bottom of the yard, stick it in the flower pots. I mean, I've got garlic everywhere. And because of that, there's almost never a time of the year where I can't find at least a, a good clove or two of garlic that I can get my hands on out of the uh, garden. Before regular crop planting, September is your time just about anywhere in the country to be planting garlic. It'll grow right through the winter, and it'll be nice and big and beautiful uh, next season. So the garlic is more like, you know, it's an investment in your future is the way to look at that plant. Now, what I've discovered this year and I feel like I wish I would have discovered these things a long time ago. And I tried doing it in the spring, and it didn't work. Um, this year I'm going to do it in the fall, and I know it will work. Uh, it is called fava beans. Fava beans are uh, really famous in Italy uh, for Italian winter gardens. And I never really got fava beans. To me, they kind of look like a great big lima bean. And I've never been a huge lima bean fan, so I wasn't big on favas. Favas don't taste like limas. They have a much nuttier, sweeter flavor to me, and they dry beautifully. They make a great dry bean, and they can be used to make basically what's an Italian version of hummus. And it is, if you like hummus made with chickpeas, which is traditional hummus, you'll love uh, hummus made with favas. It's not the same. It's not supposed to be the same. It's a lot whiter. Uh, but it, it, when you can grow these things all through your fall, uh, dry them out, turn them into hummus, and that's basically a long-term storable in and of itself. Uh, fava beans are just something that are too great to go passing up uh, for your fall garden. Definitely a good time to grow them. This is something you can put directly in the ground as soon as the soil temperature isn't boiling hot. Or if you want to get an early start with them, I've actually had pretty good results with favas by starting them in small containers, getting them up to about 6 to 8 inches in height, and then planting them in the garden. They're not a trellising bean, but they do need support. And the best way I've seen to do that is to plant them in really tight clumps where they kind of support each other, and then basically take some stakes and go around their perimeter and put some string up to help kind of contain them in. Uh, and they don't seem to need much more support than that, but... My spring uh, favas this year, I got very little out of them. It was just too hot for them to produce well. Going into fall and getting them into maturity uh, in the uh, late October time frame, we should do very well with them this year. I, I recommend you consider adding them uh, to your fall gardening as well. Next one is turnips. Um, I never thought I'd like turnips. Turnips are something we never really ate much of, which I was surprised that of all the things that my grandmother forced me to eat, turnips really weren't on the list. But... Uh, since trying them, they kind of taste like a cross between something like a potato and a chestnut. I like potatoes and I like chestnut, and they're a lot low carb, uh, lower carb than something like a potato. Uh, roasted uh, turnip uh, sliced on the grill with some garlic and onion and sea salt and black pepper. Give it a try before you write turnips off. Turnips are easy to grow, extremely winter hardy, and just like beets, uh, and carrots, they can be stored in the ground through most of your winter by just pushing the, the, the greens over flat, mulching heavily on top of them, and allowing the cold weather to take care of the rest for you. And you can go up there and pull out a fresh turnip, a fresh carrot, a fresh beet, and make a little uh, root stew uh, out of that. That's pretty daggone cool to be able to pull off in the middle of winter. Um, one year, that's exactly what I did. I just... Uh, I'd just come back from hunting, and I wanted to make a little bit of deer stew and uh, 
The boy was away. I don't remember why. My wife doesn't really like the deer meat, so I don't want to make a huge pot of it. So I just took a small cut, you know, about a uh, about the size of maybe a softball or a little bit bigger piece of uh, uh, shoulder roast from the venison and uh, browned that. While it was browning, I went right outside, pulled a car- two carrots, uh, a turnip, uh, and a beet uh, out of the ground. And I came in, and I made a gravy, and then I cooked those till they were soft in that gravy with the venison. And it was literally five minutes from the ground to the sink to the knife to the pot for those root vegetables. And that was unbelievable. I used the golden uh, uh, beet for that. Another thing, I'll throw a couple bonuses in here you can consider uh, that aren't on my list of the show notes, but just two more I thought of with this. One I haven't grown yet, but I'd like to, and I think would be good in root stews like that is parsnips. They look like a white carrot. I've never eaten them, but uh, it's something I'm intrigued with, and I'll probably grow some this fall. And the other one that I love, and I try to keep it growing as often as I can, and only in the middle of summer uh, can I not grow this, that's arugula. Arugula is the ultimate green to me. You put that into a salad, and it just spices it up, and it gives it this nutty flavor. You take a big handful of arugula, you take some uh, angel hair pasta uh, that you saute with a a little bit of garlic uh, and butter, and arugula, and you, you wilt down the arugula leaves into angel hair pasta, and I mean, it's the simplest thing you could ever do, and it's an amazing meal. It really is. You, you, you know, maybe you have a little bit of chicken on the side or something like that with, with a meal like that, and yeah, it's high carb, but in the wintertime, you see, you know, we, I, I allow a little bit more carb uptake in the wintertime for myself, uh, especially with things like pastas, because we're outside working in the cold, burning more calories. It's not something you want to do every day, but you know, we all got to live, and we all got to enjoy things once in a while and loosen up. So there you go, 12 plus a bonus of two, that's 14. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit, though, about some things you can do to even extend this further and get better results. One is mini greenhouses. I don't care if you go to, like, uh, uh, yard cells and swap meets and stuff like that. If you find any old uh, fish tanks for cheap, pick them up, because that's the easiest way i found to make a mini greenhouse. And if you look at my videos on YouTube, just go to YouTube and search for Fish Tank Mini Greenhouse. You'll find my videos. And if you look at the difference between two pieces, two clumps of lettuce, like like six, eight plants on each clump, uh, one grown under a a fish tank and the other without, uh, side by side, treated the same in the same ground at the same time, planted at the same time, you'll be blown away. Double, maybe triple the production just by throwing a, a fish tank over it. And having two or three of those, maybe four, that you keep in your shed and just bring them out for late fall into winter uh, is an easy way to create that individual protection for a few of your leaf plants, like your arugulas and your lettuce. On hot summer days, though, do go out and take them off. Sometimes it gets a little bit too hot under there, even when it's cold out, or maybe prop up one side with a rock or something to allow some ventilation. But overall, that is one of the greatest little tricks I can give you. Another thing you can do is simply building out of, uh, uh, like, uh, plastic that you can get, like painter's plastic, uh, and, and some one-by-twos. You can build basically a mini greenhouse around your raised bed. You know, a few nails and uh, put that together and make the top so that it can be removed. And you can basically encase your entire raised bed in a mini greenhouse. And when summer comes along, the plastic sheet, cut it off and throw it away. You know, use a screw gun and put screws in to hold your one-by-twos in. Unscrew them, put those in the shed and they'll take you another two or three seasons, even without any treatment. Uh, so that's another great way to extend things. And maybe it is time for a greenhouse, folks. Um, one of the first things we're going to do up in Arkansas when we finally move is build a full-size, big, badass greenhouse. I had a little springhouse greenhouse. It was a beautiful thing. 
I loved it. I grew so much in that greenhouse, and I've almost bought another one. What happened is we got one of the really bad Texas windstorms, and it just couldn't stand up to that. Um, it was about $250. Bucks. Had it not been destroyed in a storm, I would have said it was the best $250 I ever spent. I just can't see buying another one in a place where we get the type of wind-damaged storms that we do here. If you live in a place without that, and as long as you're going to make sure that you don't let the snow build up on it, I think they're still a really good product. But it just didn't stand up to Texas storm weather in the spring here. Um, last I want to say is just kind of a, a plea to you think about everything that I said today and consider doing some fall gardening, even if you're far north and you need greenhouses to pull it off. Spring's a long way off once fall gets here. And all of a sudden, Christmas is come and gone. The busy time of winter is over. You're back at work. It's a long damn time before you even get a day off. Kids are in school. It gets dark out at 5 o'clock. And you just feel like it's going to be forever before spring comes. Carrying your gardening into December and January, which you can do, and with some greenhouse or some strategic protection, you can, and maybe even a little bit of a heated greenhouse if you have to, you can carry your gardening right into February, and by then you're starting seeds for the spring. And that thing that you really love to do that gives you peace and centering, which gardening is for many people, becomes a 12-month-out-of-the-year activity. And it beats the hell out of a six-month-out-of-the-year activity. And it doesn't take that much effort. And what you'll find is that your production, the amount of food you can produce for yourself a year, goes way, way up. And what does that do? It gives you more independence from the food distribution system, from your income, from everything that goes around with having to go to the grocery store once a week to fill that pantry. It will also allow you to learn more, to do more, to get more out of your land. It really is... I think for a lot of people, one of the bigger survival topics that we need to talk about, extending that gardening beyond just a few months out of the year, because there's so much to be gained by it. Now, that's really all I have today. I know it's a little bit short, but hey, it's a fill-in show. Uh, by now, I'm somewhere, like I said, traveling on uh, I-30 through Arkansas on my way up to the mountains of Tennessee. I'll probably pull into my final destination sometime tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll get another show recorded, so tomorrow there's another show for you. Just I want you guys to know something. I want to take just a minute here since I finished early today to say something I should say more often. You guys are the most important thing in the world to me outside of my family, the people that listen to this show. I don't just say that as a businessman that cares about his customers because they're my source of income. You guys are the biggest inspiration that's ever come into my life. I get emails from you all the time telling me what you've done, pictures showing me what you've done. The entire video of The Revolution Is You on YouTube is nothing but what people have done. Uh, gardening, fishing, hunting, primitive skills, independence, debt freedom, all of those things. And I just want to thank every single one of you out there today that's ever taken the time to listen to even one of my shows. And I want to send a, a double thank you to those of you who have taken the extra step and said to somebody else, hey, check this guy out, listen to what he's doing, I think this can help you. Those of you who have shared the show, I live my dream. And I live it every day because of you. And uh, I promise you. I promise you and I mean it. I promise you I'll never forget it. And I know sometimes I get bad and uh, I'll snap out at somebody. And sometimes I'll say something on this show that's uh, not your cup of tea. Or sometimes I'll do an episode that's not really uh, a subject that you're that interested in. But I'm here five days a week. 
And I try to keep the show varied and interesting and moving in on various topics. So when that comes along, remember, it's not because I'm not trying to serve you well. It's because I'm trying to serve everybody well. And remember that I will always do everything I can to help make sure that this show is impacting your life in a positive way. So speaking to you today from my vacation, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Revolution is you